Welcome back to another episode of Spectator Mode. I'm Neil Striebig. With me, as always, is Donald Double D. <laughs> yeah, still here. <laughs> I love that you're always like still here. Like, oh my god, it's I'm a cry for help, and no one's show. taking me seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah, you know I mean, uh, yeah. now we got a we got a pretty good lineup. A little little bit doom and gloom, but we'll kind of start on the high notes and then you know slowly digging down into the soot of it all. But uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, give them, give them the rundown of what we're looking at. All right, we're talking a little bit about World of Warcraft, some Call of Duty news, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, two on the Switch, that port which came out, uh, I think, end of 2021, maybe earlier this year, if I remember correctly. There, either way, doesn't quite matter. But uh, Ezra Miller news, which is pretty hot topic there, and of course, our favorite developer, Activision Blizzard, and uh, some relatively alarming news out of that camp. Yeah, so I guess we're going to kick it off with um, the Dragonflight announcement for World of Warcraft. I've been a mm-hmm. on-again, off-again WoW addict for many, many years, and I will say I'm personally very hyped for this for a number of reasons. Uh, it, the game, the expansion is set to be releasing sometime towards the end of this year, before the end of 2022. Um, the basic edition of the expansion is for, uh, $50, and then going up to the... Heroic and Epic Edition. Epic Edition is $90. That comes with some wings that Reddit has already been hating on the wing transmog that it comes with as a back piece. But otherwise, beyond the packages, I think I'm most excited for the storyline changes. And then also, they're doing some pretty drastic overhaul of some basic systems to the game, which could be really awesome i'm hoping for with this expansion into and again just since you play wow more than i do because it's you know it's cool news but for me it's like i'm not getting it i'm kind of you know disenchanted yeah. by it just because i don't i don't play but i'm always interested because there's no beta it's supposed to come out later this year too like is there a time issue with that and again the excitement level too for fans with that you already mentioned the reddit bit like already getting hit and 90 bucks is a pretty high price tag for yeah for for the, for the um most expensive edition of the game what they call their uh epic edition comes with you know flying mounts and and uh back transmog and like i said the transmog has been seen on reddit already and has been poorly received but you know i do expect there will be a beta that'll come out a lot of times they do focus the beta on um high level players you know competitive players and stuff like that to get quality feedback and not just open it up to everybody per se pros of that obviously are that they are getting i think actionable information but the con is they don't try some of the things I think that players do because you just have a mass amount of people doing stupid shit all the time, right? Same time, they do in-game events. So for those play people who don't get involved in the beta, there'll be an in-game event, I'm sure, leading up to this that'll introduce a lot of the storylines. It'll be like a campaign, introduce a lot of the main characters and the themes that are coming up to it and help you kind of get any characters ready or prepared coming up to the release so that you're good to go. But... We actually were talking about this before, and I think I said that I was most excited for storyline changes, which is true. They're allowing cross-faction play finally, so I'm hoping they're going to get away from the opposing sides thing, like box they've been in for a very long time. But they are releasing a new race class combo. It's the first class that is going to be fully race locked. Just can't do it on another class or another race at all, rather. It's a healer and DPS combo class, one of each. They're making changes to aerial movement and flight, which has been an ongoing debate at Blizzard for many, many years because they felt releasing flight meant that people could just effectively bypass a lot of the level design. So instead, they tied it to achievements that you would be able to unlock flight in new zones later in the expansion to force you to walk through and play through the zones that they wanted you to play through. They're filling with that. That should be a big change. They're revisiting the talent system, 
which is always a big change when talents get updated and what that means for the game. And then not to mention, they're also doing things for professions and the UI, which I don't know anyone who's used the default Blizzard UI, I think in a competitive sense for many, many years. You know, some people still play with it, but I used to do mythic rating and I'm pretty sure everyone there does modding to some extent. And you know what I mean? It'll be interesting to see what they bring to the UI. If it's going to be more in line with what we typically see people do when they use add-ons and custom customizations for the game. So lots of big changes to the base game beyond the other stuff they're doing. I think I'm very positive on it. A lot of stuff that could fall flat, but frankly, breath of fresh air for a very old franchise. Yeah, it seems like your excitement level in your voice definitely seems like it's a needed uh, bounce back for uh, for the game and the uh, franchise. Definitely. So I'm interested to see how it goes. But um, I guess a little bit of a change for another franchise, big time. I'm not sure if it's, uh, I guess it has passed World of Warcraft in some capacities, but Call of Duty Vanguard, uh, Activision announced that their basically cheating team and well, anti-cheating team, Team Ricochet, has some new systems in place, most notably that they're basically disarming anybody that's using a cheating software and cheating mods. So you basically lose your guns at that point. They had a couple other ones in there already. Uh, basically, if a cheater shoots at a player, that other player that's not cheating can turn invisible, so then the cheater can't see them for a short period. There's also defensive buffs, so it takes longer to kill somebody. It gives that other player that's not cheating an opportunity to find the cheater and take them out as well. But it still kind of amazes me that it's kind of just now that they're getting on cheating software so hardcore. Well, I think the the key part to this, though, is trying to find what works against cheaters, because for a long time, I think the go to was just to ban them or to suspend their accounts. Bans they found to be largely ineffective because they just make a new account. They don't care. Suspension worked better because at least, you know, like why spend the money to buy or open a new account if you can just wait through the exp the suspension, which they did. But still, that wasn't going like that wasn't enough to deter people by itself because then they would just maybe alternate accounts, have multiple accounts. And so you're suspended on one, you move to another, mm -hmm. getting around that. So I always think it's interesting how developers try to find creative ways to fight back against cheaters um, and what they do. So obviously, trying to make cheating less of an advantage with the first two fixes you mentioned with the damage shield and the cloaking or invisibility to allow people to respond to cheaters and basically let the game continue by buffing. The legitimate players, but that's not punishing per se the cheaters, it's just making them less effective, obviously. And so this taking away their their weapons completely, it's like, hey, like you can just run around the game and just be fodder for everybody else. I'm gonna be curious to see how effective it is in actually deterring cheaters, but I think it's an interesting new take they're making. Yeah, I'm with you there. I kinda like to see the data as far as, you know, cheating software less used, does it actually have an impact? Um also feedback to even players that, you know, are getting the cloaking and does that affect your gameplay too? Because I imagine that with just the speed of the game, it's got to be somewhat, you know, alarming in some capacities, or you might not be able to recognize it at all. So maybe I'm way off the uh, case there, but I don't know. I'm just still amazed at the error of streaming and Twitch that like some people still use mods. And it's just like, just why? It's not that hard of a game to play. I mean, it's not hard to aim and shoot. I would actually argue the reverse that because of Twitch and streaming, there's now a reward for cheating because in some games, some games, you know, you cheat, you get bigger prizes or items or loot or whatever. Call of Duty is not one of those games. You're not getting like bigger loot boxes or drops from bosses or something like that. Like there's not like an inherent reward to cheating other than the fact that you get whatever satisfaction I guess you might from winning. When you can turn that into a streaming experience or something like that and like have viewers who can support you and, and pay for that experience and everything else and 
especially if you can convince them you're not cheating or maybe they don't care. Maybe they just like to see you like, you know, light people up and kill people and stuff like that. And they're just happy to watch the world burn as it were. I think we're almost uh, creating true. a market for treaters that did not exist previously. No, that's a good point. It is a very good point there too. So I, I mean, I know a lot of the YouTube channels that people are called. I mean, they're banned if revenue stream stops and all that. We've heard the crying apology videos. Oh my God. You know, oh yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's a good point. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that just don't care. And, uh, I mean, a lot of fans too, for a lot of the streamers, it's not necessarily even about the game. It's kind of just more about the personality. So no, you're right there. I mean, kind of digging back down into the whole of uh, ongoing negative news, I suppose, or at least uh, not our usual happiness. Knights of the Old Republic, uh, the second one, port came out for the Switch, like I said, earlier uh, this year. They see some gamers now are not able to complete the game. There's an issue. Uh, developer, I'm going to mispronounce it. Uh, Aspir? Asper. Asper? All right. Asper, Austin based, Asper something actually, like that. I don't know. Yeah, Austin-based here in the States, which is uh, kind of interesting, but they did acknowledge it. Basically, there's a cut scene on Odoron about halfway through the game that uh, basically cuts players out. Uh, they did come out and update it that they are working on a fix, and it's only dealing with the marginal amount of players, which I think it's just more PC and damage control there. But still, the game's been out for quite some time, and don't be able to play through half of it. That's kind of like a, how the hell does that happen in a port? Yeah, I mean, I think, the real question is how does it get released because it kind of implies that whatever testing they did on their end they only played part of the game and didn't get up to the halfway mark so they didn't play through their entire game after they made the port to the switch you know what i mean like it's also a real shame because i think a lot of star wars fans coder and the second one were both very very well received games like knights of the old republic were solid games and i think a lot of people wanted games in that style on more modern engines so, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's pretty big fumble for the company, to be honest. And I'm curious, like, if they fix this, is there another crash later on that we're going to find out? Like, how much will they actually <laughs> finish the game? Or is it just getting through, like, one speed bump to another as they finally get through the uh, QA that they probably should have done before they released it? Yeah, no, no, I'm with you. It is a pretty big fumble. I mean, they are known for bringing in ports and everything else from some other games, too. So it is a bit surprising on that end. But no, I'm with you. It's kind of like, how did you, how did you not catch this before? Well, I'm kind of curious what you think of their business model, because I didn't know this until we were researching this article, but I guess they they kind of made their fame and their money by doing modern ports of older style games. And on the one hand, I think we talked about retro gaming and the demand for those, and like having, you know, legitimate ways to play those games or else people will turn to some sort of form of piracy and emulators to do it because people have a lot of love for that. I'm just curious, do you think that this is like a, a long-term business model that, that can work for a company that they focus on doing those types of ports and updates to things to bring them to new systems? Or do you think that's something that long-term isn't going to be profitable? No, I mean, I think it definitely is a good game. I mean, you for me, I'm a big retro guy. So for me, it's always like, yeah, it makes sense. I think what we're seeing, Nintendo does a great job with that, with the N64 libraries and the Nintendo uh, Super NES libraries on the Switch. But even on Xbox and PlayStation, both of the Game Pass versions on them, PlayStation Plus, Xbox Game Pass, there's a huge demand for the retro games. And even if it's not a significant update, I think we're seeing a peak right now for retro gaming kind of coming back in the last couple of years. The issue, though, is stuff like this. And then when you even get like the GTA San Andreas to where it's like, these graphics aren't even fucking updated. Like, what the hell? You know I mean, I think stuff like that, then that hurts the longevity of the retro gaming cycle and companies then like Asper that are doing this. Because it's if you're putting the time into it to remaster and relaunch it, 
you know, at least give it a new shine. Like Legendary Edition Mass Effect, people played it, you know, phenomenal job. And like, yeah, some of the stuff might have been a bit marginal in Mass Effect 3, but it looked so much crisper. And, uh, yeah. you know, it goes a long way just to upgrade the finer details and basically the scope of the game visually, even if the gameplay is not a massive overhaul, like Mass Effect 1 got a whole revamp in actual gameplay there. San Andreas, I think, is a perfect example of not that crazy of a game. You don't really need to update anything there. Like, yeah. Pretty much all the same style, but, you know, we shouldn't have a pixelated CJ running around Grove Street. And we're seeing, I think, more of that with, like, the Resident Evil updates. Did similar, not just, like, graphical updates, but some gameplay as well. So just play smoother, but otherwise you're playing through the same story and stuff that you did in the original. Final Fantasy has been coming out with their remakes and stuff. And again, there are changes there, definitely graphical, but also in some ways to the gameplay stuff as well. I think there's an interesting conversation to be had here, maybe in another time of what it means to be true to the original while still providing a port or an update for more modern technology and hardware um, so that people can experience something and maintain the fundamental experience while bringing it into the new age, so to speak. But very good points you're making all around. I'm going to move on to something, I think, a little, you know, and so this is where we go downhill. We go down to the, we're talking about a game that can't be finished. And then now we're going to talk about another favorite topic on the show, Ezra Miller. Uh, they now have a temporary restraining order against themselves for against a 12 year old that they can't be around, which just raises all kinds of red flags. You know what I mean? That a judge obviously felt that this was a significant enough concern to make it worth doing um, and granted that, you know, restraining order, protection order, I guess. I don't know, man. Yeah. No, it's with everything that's coming out now with the restraining order, which is pretty wild. Uh, the issues in Hawaii, there's a couple other states too. I miss him. He lives in Massachusetts is where this uh, restraining order came mm-hmm. from too. And was basically friends with uh, the family. And like, it was a weird thing too, because it seems like there's a lot of stuff we don't know aside from just the actual police reports and news coming out too, as far as, you know, kind of how long are these relationships going on and stuff too. Not good or bad, but it's like, it seemed like he was a family friend and close, but then it's like, okay, now there's a training order. So things definitely went sour and inappropriate at, at some point in time and definitely aligns with kind of this downward slope he's on with, you know, a lot of the news in Hawaii. I think it was one of the Dakotas or something or somewhere else in the Midwest too. He turned remember alt- altercation, but it makes more sense why Warner Brothers decided to, to, uh, to drop him. So it's just like, it's a lot of heat. And I don't know what they were really, I don't know what they're going through. I, I don't, you know what I mean, I, I don't, it seems a lot of stuff's inappropriate, but at the same time too, it's just like, how does someone go from being basically carrying a franchise or a big focal point, especially with the flash to then just like, yeah, like cut all ties and how did none of this stuff come up before? Cause it's again, you're, you're talking about a lot of these pauses. The pandemic doesn't happen. Flash, probably two other DC universe movies are probably already out. And Fantastic Beasts is definitely already finished then too. So it seems like a lot of, I don't know, were they Warner Brothers kind of pushing them in the rug? How aware were they? And it, it, it's at yeah. least a huge question mark for franchises. But at the same time, too, it's like someone's definitely going through some significant issues and no, clearly had problems. Yeah. So it's again, is it a mental health issue or is it just, you know, they were a bit of a scumbag to begin with. If then all of a sudden bad habits came to the forefront or the fame and fortune went to their head and they thought that now they could get away with stuff or who knows, like it's, it's really, there's a lot of red flags here. And I, I think to a certain extent, like we're, we are drawing attention to it. We're discussing the issue here. There are a lot of unknowns. And so maybe in that sense, we're doing a disservice to it. But at the same time, I think it's an important topic to talk about because 
it ties into such major franchise like you mentioned it ties into the entire dc universe uh movie universe is based on flash it looked like they were building towards a flashpoint type event we talked about that previously on the show in terms of how they could use that as a canonical reset on their dc universe if they want to do some rebooting because there had been troubles with early dc movies and stuff you know they hadn't all been well received and stuff and like hey you can use flashpoint basically to get yourself out of a bad spot it's you know a redo card or uno reverse like you can fucking do what you need to do to fix the franchise but it's based off of flash and now that flash as a character the actor rather is kind of dead in the water what does that do for the overall franchise same thing with fantastic beats which already went through a whole thing with johnny depp's accusations they face backlash from that most recently because depp won his civil case against amber heard and he was dropped from the franchise you know and he you know, he's saying it's unfairly. Then you have Ezra, who's going through all this stuff. Some difference in treatment there, number one. And then number two, like, now you've got the entire franchise and, and what I think was meant to be kind of the future of Harry Potter. The whole thing now is left up in the air. Like, what are they going to do with the project? Are they going to give up on the whole Fantastic Beats franchise? Are they going to, like, what's going to happen with Harry Potter as a movie franchise going forward? I guess they've even started floating ideas of the cursed child, which I cannot tell you how much I dislike that idea. Ezra Miller, all the stuff they're going through, unfortunately is intimately tied to two very, very big franchises and the situation needs to be discussed. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm interested too, because Ezra also too, representation wise, LBGT, LBGTQ is a big role too. I mean, he was part of that grouping and representation there. And I think in Hollywood, if there's reason to doubt or reason not to, oftentimes they tend to go there. So it's again, like we're going to see continued representation and primary roles like that because yeah. of this, or does it lead to see to doubt? And you have people that, you know, don't necessarily want to be as inclusive as they say it's, uh, there's a lot going on. I think there's, Gonna be some sort of fallout too, because even with DC, it's like, do you stay with Flash then, or do you just figure out a whole new character? And then you know you're talking about hasn't been well received. It pushes that timeline further back, and it's like, how much reshoots can you do? And you overly invested money too, so it's like, do you just throw the movie out and just see what happens, or do you just completely scrap it all and start? And that might be including the Flash character and Barry Allen, yeah, in general. Well, I'm very curious if any fans want to like leave a comment or send us a message or whatever, basically what they think will happen with either the franchises, with the DC movies, with the Fantastic Beast movies, and how you think they're going to move forward from this. Because regardless, it seems like a big blow to the plans or the foundations that was being laid and what we kind of had teased or, or told to us in terms of timelines and movies. So I'd be very interested to read anyone's opinion on how this is going to impact it and what you think they can do to kind of recover from it, losing such a central figure to both of those franchises. And moving on, I think to, <laughs> I don't know if this is the worst news or the most hilarious news, but Activision Blizzard conducted an investigation into the widespread allegations of misconduct and sexism and misogyny in the workplace. And Activision Blizzard finds quote, no evidence of misconduct at Activision Blizzard. How does that hit you for a headline? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what you do an internal investigation and uh, you're just kind of like, yeah, we didn't see anything wrong in this internal investigation. There's no way, shape, or form in our company that we just totally looked into on our own or <laughs> did anything at all wrong. It's definitely a PC game and it's definitely a litigation game too because the internal investigation, them saying that, then, you know, in court allows it to be like, okay, 
it adds an extra layer of doubt and a little bit tougher than to prove and stick. What I think was interesting here was they had a chairman, uh, Gilbert Casillas from the U.S. US Equal Opportunity oh, yeah. Commission do uh, a data report and they gave him data. He didn't find anything that was initially tied to a completely separate lawsuit that the U.S. Department of, what was it, housing, I'm sorry, U.S. Department of Fair Employment and Housing. That was the initial suit that basically started this whole thing as well and won an $18 million settlement. He didn't say anything that was really connected or tied to it and he kind of dismissed it. But again, the article we're primarily going on is a PC Gamer report as well. What surprised me was just the fact that it's like, okay, so you just gave him data to look at, wasn't really a full investigation. And it's kind of, again, like an internal thing to where like you're giving him select data to go from and make a decision off of doing oh, yeah. the court of public opinion to be like, well, we didn't find anything. It makes it that much tougher than to stick to well, in the and this court is, when this case comes up next year in February. We absolutely need to do, I think, more follow up on this. This is still like a developing story right now. And it's an ongoing issue. We talked about it at Activision Blizzard. But to share just a little bit of what I do, I'm going to have to leave some details out just for... Um, protecting my employer, my situation, but I do compliance management for my company, which basically means I look at how we are meeting standards, policies, legislation around, you know, our company, our industry. Are we doing what we need to be doing? When things happen, I conduct an internal review of those things, collect that information, and then I send it out. If there are serious allegations or serious issues, I do not get to investigate that. There, because of the very specific, you know, because of this, what we're talking about right here, like it taints the investigation because I work for the company that I'm investigating. There's no way you can argue that I'm going to do it without bias. And the information that I send out is never taken at face value. It's always reviewed by people outside. They look at the initial filings, basically decide if they need to do follow up. And if they do, they come and do a completely separate investigation of their own. So it's never based on exclusively the stuff that I'm giving them. Because again, like I obviously have an interest in the company that I work for to protect them. Now, I'll be honest, I I don't do that. You know what I mean? Like I'm very honest, I think to a fault sometimes, <laughs> but that's essentially why the system works the way it does. You know what I mean? Like I don't make the final determination. I don't do the final investigation. Like that's all handled by outside agencies. It's weird, just really, really weird that Blizzard gets to investigate themselves and that, you know, this commissioner, I'm sorry, the chairman rather, reviews the information they give them and doesn't do their own independent investigation into this, especially when we have the court case and everything else going on that suggests like there's got to be more to this, right? Like, yeah. how do you get away with this? I don't understand. Well, I mean, uh, corporations get away with a lot of different stuff. It's not nothing new. Yeah, it's just what it is. We kind of live in a society of educators at times, but to your point, there's a shit ton of smoke, regardless of <laughs> that's a know, good way of phrasing protocol it. and investigations, regardless. But there's a crap ton of smoke here. And usually if there's smoke, there's fire, of course, of that cliche. So it's again, what's surprising, it's just like you did your internal investigation and you're giving a data set to, you know, equal opportunity. And they're not taking on their own accord to be like, well, you know, let's do our own independent. If you're giving us data, that's clearly a bit of a bias thing, too. And we're not asking for anything else, though, as well. So, again, the case will come, you know, forehead next year, I think with February, 2023. So we'll see, but there's just a lot going on here that yeah, it just seems suspect. And at least from my vantage point, it's literally just creating doubt. Then so when it does go to the case, you'd be like, well, we didn't find anything. So how can you really pin it? Right. It's just, it's, it's shameful in a lot of ways. It really is, but it's nothing new in corporate. And and I wonder too, how much of it is playing a shell game essentially because of the way, 
companies are divided and everything else and, and held by other companies and stuff. It's like, oh, well, this happened in this entity, which might be part of the larger Activision, you know, company, but it's not part of this studio that so we, we can make statements and they're misleading because we're talking yeah. about this bubble or this division when things are happening in that division over there and pretending those are two separate entities when you know it's all part of the same pyramid i thought it was interesting too because i think it was casillas too that had like a, a quote too and he was just like ready for press headlines with the, with the cases and the lawsuits and it's like well that seems a little biased too you know what i mean <laughs> to kind of say that these allegations are sensational and it's like we're not just dismissing folks that you know are victims and like that's fucked up in its own right so it's just like mm-hmm. come on man but it's gonna be interesting i just if they get off scotch-free, I'd be shocked. I, I just don't know how there's so many things, so many people affected too. And again, you have some unions going on and all that, but it's it's also too part of the industry thing. It's not just Activision Blizzard. Like we know video game companies have not had the best HR. So it's again, like you don't want to see this case just like fizzle out either. Cause I do think it could be a potential landmark thing too for uh, employer rights, especially the video game industry, which is one of the largest industries in the world right now. Yeah. And I, th- I think one of the key points that needs to still kind of be reiterated, number one, is the representation of women in the entertainment field in video game industry, which is a surprising distinction or surprisingly low numbers, essentially, because video games, it's it's not like there's going to be, I think, a big inherent difference between men and women in terms of their performance in gaming. You know, it's not like you can't make games that appeal to either gender or both genders. Like, it really does seem to be something that should be much more universal and maybe is to a large extent in like the home consumer market. Because I think we do see a lot of women interested in gaming and stuff like that. It's just interesting then that that doesn't carry through to the employment side of things. And again, it's kind of like, well, what's going on behind the scenes? Like, why aren't women getting into this industry? Why aren't they staying there? And like you said, there's smoke where there's smoke, there's smile. There's plenty of accusations. There's plenty of articles. If you read them that basically say like, Hey, women are not treated well in the industry. And like, and it's a real problem. It's a big problem. So maybe this (laughs) will create an opportunity for a larger dialogue around equal opportunity and you know, how women are being treated in the workplace, in the gaming industry, especially because don't see any reason why they would be or should be treated differently it doesn't make sense to me i don't get it yeah no like i'm laughing there because it's like yeah why would you want to work at a place you don't feel safe at or you don't feel like again you have any allies going into oh, it yeah. that's this recipe for disaster so it's just like yeah if you don't really feel safe or you don't feel good vibe like why would you go there well and the crazy like, thing is too i'm sure many people go because they believe so strongly in it right like they believe in in the company or they believe in the franchise or they believe in the industry even and it's not like they're going in and thinking everything's roses and sunshine, but they're like, it's, you know, it's going to be worth it. And then they still leave. You know what I mean? Like, like Activision has their, their own example where they had a woman CEO come in for all like a couple months before she stepped down and left. She didn't say anything specific about like why, or, you know, what was going on with that. But at the same time, it's like, again, why is she leaving? You know what I mean? Like you got to this position, you got to be the first woman CEO of a major, major uh, developer. And then you're walking away from it. Like something happened. I don't know what happened. I'm not saying it's this stuff that we're talking about today, but like something happened, you know, it's not Uh, a good look. It's it's not, not at all. So, I mean, on that point though, I mean, I did, you know, internal investigation on the podcast (laughs) here and, you know, I found out that we're, pretty fucking awesome so <laughs> no bias there at all Definitely zero bias activision blizzard's book there 
This is the most <laughs> underrated podcast of, of uh, yeah. <laughs> 2020s, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and on uh, that incredibly disappointing note, I think that's where we're going to bring it to a close for this week's episode of Spectator Mode. So we will see you next week as we give another rundown of current topics in nerddom and news.